So hello, everybody. By now, you've probably figured out why exactly we decide to postpone Edible Alpha Live. I think we're kind of at the front of the curve when we postponed it. And since then, things have really evolved in a direction that um, I don't think any of us ever anticipated. But we're still going to do Edible Alpha Live. And what we're doing, the 10 early stage companies who are going to be sharing their stories, are going to start working with us at FFI. I'm going to be starting to mentor them um, as planned. This situation makes that work even more critical, I think, to help some of these amazing impact-oriented businesses to help them survive this situation. So we're gonna be starting the mentorship program with them. And then we're also hoping that this thing will calm down. And at some point in the future, we are looking to hold the event that we were all excited about having. And it looks like right now, tentatively, we're holding October 28th for Edible Alpha Live. The other thing I will tell you is we're going to be producing a bunch of podcasts on issues around surviving through a situation like this. So a series of interviews and things that are relevant. The other thing we're doing is last week I started a huddle. I called it a huddle. We're going to have a huddle. We're going to do a virtual huddle and we're going to get people who have questions and are trying to navigate through this. We're going to get them online and I'm going to share some insights about things that I'm seeing and hearing and, you know, techniques but then we'll share with the group. And I just put that out there and we had 25 people in two different groups and we notified people an hour in advance, which says to me that there are a lot of you out there that are trying to get a strategy together for how you're gonna survive this situation with your business. So if you're interested in joining one of those over the next few months, I think that will be incredibly useful. So if you're interested in joining that, that's all free. Go to either the foodfinanceinstitute.org or ediblealpha.org and you'll see a way to join one of those groups. And here's the show. Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Bartlett, thanks for joining me this morning. Oh, it's delightful. Always nice to talk to you, Tara. Yeah, and I, I gather you're sitting on your front porch in the sun. Yes, I need sunshine. I, since I can't uh, you know, cruise around as much as I was used to doing, uh, every time I get a chance to be in sun, I try to take it. Yeah, I get it. We, we, he, you're in um, Middleton, Wisconsin, right? I am. Middleton, Wisconsin, and uh, the gateway to the Driftless. And for all the world, I want to go out to the family farm and hang out with the cows and eat some cheese and do my tours of the plants out there. And I know I can't, I have to stay no. home. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't want to start the zombie horde. So it's, uh, yeah, kind of a, right. kind of a drag that way, but I guess we're all there. Yeah. We're all there. We're all there. And yeah. And at least the sun is out today. This weekend was, was dreary, rainy, cold, which didn't help lift our spirits. Right. Right. Yeah. So we're, I really wanted to get you back on the show because um, cause you, uh, you're not 
Well, I don't know. Are you practicing right now bankruptcy or not? No, I'm not actively practicing. I've been uh, picked up by San County Foundation to do some water quality work with them. But obviously, I still uh, guide and advise lots of companies uh, and kind of steer them to uh, workout situations or bankruptcies or how to right. deal with situations when things go south. And it seems like our whole world has suddenly gone south. So, um, right. Yeah, well, kind of, I was going to say, uh, like, like let's let's help people because it does feel like that. It obviously the whole world hasn't, but there is a lot of um, major financial stress going on in businesses right now. So I thought we definitely wanted to get you on on the show um, so we can start helping people imagine what their alternatives are. So what what's a workout? When you use that word, what do you mean by that? So workout is kind of what we use in the late term where you just kind of settle with your creditors and just work out terms of how to move forward. And that can be anything from, you know, give me, you know let me off rent this month and I'll extend my lease an extra month uh, to working with the bank saying drop it to zero interest for six months and then we'll see where we are. Um, to drop all interest, you know, again, with the bank or a situation like that, roll, I'm not going to pay you anything for a while, but roll all the interest and principal I should be paying you back into the loan. So it kind of doubles in the wrong direction. Um, and then give me a balloon payment or something in six months to, you know, pay it all off or uh, refinance. So the workout's just that kind of negotiating and doing the best you can with folks who are trying to get to a happier place. Now, the reason that can be effective is because of the bankruptcy protection and in Wisconsin and many other states have something similar called the receivership law. So we have, again, whether it's bankruptcy or the state equivalent, if you want to call it that, there are laws that let you walk away from your debt altogether. And it's you know a big scary thing, bankruptcy, but it's just a legal mechanism. And so the creditors you're dealing with know this or should know it, and if you're a bank and you're looking at someone you loaned money to who can't make any money right now because, say, it's a restaurant, and there are no hard assets underneath, they're only going to get 5 or $0.10 cents on the dollar at best if you go through bankruptcy, they're going to be pretty happy to work with you to get, get as much as they can. Um, so if they can keep you afloat and end up getting 20 or $0.30, cents, they'll work with you. So use this to your advantage. Um, that they're going to be grumpy, but friendly grumpy. <laughs> You're on the right. same team. So that's what a workout is in trying to find a path forward or at least to minimize the damage, if not to come out doing okay. Right. And, you know, for food companies, a lot of food companies, their landlord is probably an even bigger payment every month and their debt service, right? So what about yeah. landlords? Well, same thing. I mean, especially right now, it's a good time to talk to your landlords and say, you know, my business took a hit. Now, and, and they're different businesses. Some businesses are doing great. Right. Uh, but if you're supplying restaurants or um, you are a restaurant or some kind of food business that relied on festivals or groups of folks, um, yeah, you're suffering. And you can't pay that rent. And, and I hate to say it, that you kind of shouldn't pay your rent because the whole thing is based on an assumption that 
you need that space to do your work. So part of the uh, opportunity to be a little cynical with uh, this pandemic going on is those guys know it too. And so you can talk to your landlords and say, look, I want to get back on my feet, but I'm going to be down for three months or six months or whatever. Let's put the rent in abeyance or work with them and their banker, ask them to go, who do they owe money to, and see if that banker will put, um, you know, reduced terms so you guys can work together. It's an opportunity actually uh, in the right settings to partner and be very honest with the people you're working with Say we're all in it together, and if I go bankrupt, you get nothing. So let's figure out how we can make this work. Right, right. Because I've been talking to people about this over the last couple of weeks, and I've had like people say, oh, you don't know my landlord. He's awful, or I can't talk to him, or whatever. And I'm always saying things like, well, he's being like that because that's all he's got because he it's not like he's got a line of other tenants who are going to take your place right now right that's right yeah i looked around um there's a mutual friend of ours who had to close a shop and it was for sale and now it's going to sit there and who's going to be able to go in and open a restaurant in the next three to six months yeah you know not so happening so not happening so any landlord right now is feeling pretty desperate and then a lot depends on their circumstances. And this is where, if you can do it yourself, great. If you can work out with the turnaround or a workout person, uh, usually better, because it's almost like a mediation or a, what I do, I call it facilitated negotiation. You've got a neutral who's not really, I mean, they're on your side, but they're on everybody's side. Like, what's the way through this? And Tara, you, you do this great. You know, you go in and you talk to the banks. And you say, look, here's what we can do. How do we make that work for you? The same kind of thing. You bring a professional in or just, like I said, do it yourself if you can. And you sit down with the landlord and sit down with the bank and you just work all the way up the chain to get to where you guys can make something work. And remember, the higher up that chain you go, the more help there is from the government. So what do they drop, you know? overnight lending to 0.01% or something. I mean, the big banks have big government behind them. And so they have the ability to kind of massage some of these things right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely. And, you know, the, the, um, the, there's a SBA has a disaster loan program right now The the, um, the cares act has, has a loan program in it. Both of those are for operating capital and they're both heavily oriented toward keeping businesses in business and payroll. Um, but, you know, when I work with somebody on a, you know, we, we put together a 13 week rolling cash flow statement, they can't wait six weeks for that money or 10 weeks or whatever, right? So you need. Right. You need a plan and you need to be able to do the kinds of things that you've been talking about, if only right. to keep things in abeyance until the, you know, the loan programs can come, can kick in. That's right. And one thing I did when I was going through some struggles myself, um, I talked to my landlords and I paid the minimum is, is this weird hybrid of what I could pay, even though I couldn't really pay it, but I could kind of squeeze it out. And that would keep them from 
having serious trouble with their banker. And I don't remember how the negotiation exactly went. But saying that I will now pay you an additional 50% when the loans come through. So then I had like a debt accruing with the landlord until some money came through. And that worked out really well because it were, again, kind of aligned us to be on the same team and work together. Um, so it's those kinds of things that are opportunities. And you said it earlier, Tara, and I want to reiterate this. People get so scared. You're a small business and you think you have no power and you're just getting squished and all these big, powerful landlords. Landlords are freaking out right now because if you, small business, go bankrupt, close the doors, stop paying, whatever, they don't have anybody beating down the doors to come in there. And that thing's sitting empty and then they have the expense of trying to put somebody new in. So they want you there. They want you there successfully uh, and able to pay rent. So don't be afraid to have those conversations with the landlord when everything is dark out there. It's not just you being a lousy business person. Uh, it's we're in the middle of a pandemic and everybody's an uncharted, uncharted world. Right. Right. And I, I think that's a, that's, uh, yeah, we can't underscore that enough because I, you know, I, this is such a different scenario because there's so many businesses, um, simultaneously experiencing extreme peril, right? I mean, I, I was thinking about this, that, that I started up Tara's Way in the pit of the Great Recession. So a lot of this is like eerily um, familiar to me. Um, right. But it wasn't even the depth of that recession. It wasn't sales going to zero, right? Like we've seen right. restaurants. like right. It's right, terrifying. So and then what, the one that got me is those who are not in Madison. You know, we have the Isthmus uh, newspaper paper here, and they shut they shuttered their doors suddenly. And it was a shock until they made their announcement and said, look, our entire business is based on promoting social events, concerts, right. movies, um, public speaking, uh, community gathering, restaurants. Without that, we, we don't exist. There's, we, there's no reason for us to be here. Right. So that was really disturbing to me to then walk down the chain of just restaurants, concerts, sporting events, those closed. How many other businesses rely almost entirely on those kind of events? So it's, right. yeah, it's not just a few businesses out there having struggling. It's... Yeah, what, 40, 50% of our entire economy. Right. So don't, so understand. So again, underscore, triple underscore. If you are trying to stay in business and provide something to your landlord, they will be bending over backwards or should be to help you. Right, right, exactly. And the bank, so, you know, what's fun, fun is kind of a weird, macabre, Maybe I have a yeah. bad, yeah, it's kind of like you no, have a perverse like sense of fun. You get into this stuff and you forget the, you know, personal cost because you're like, oh, look at this funny, this cool little thing going on here. And you get to kind of play with it. So, right, right. Yeah, no, it's. Sarah and I are deeply, deeply emotional and tied in, tied in with you and your struggles. But at the same time, there's this really interesting high level legal negotiation kind of structural thing going on that is fascinating. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and what, so what the other thing I, I'm seeing that is fascinating is banks. Um, I mean, if you, they, you call them and say, you know, I got to go on interest only payments or can we do a deferment? They're like, oh yeah, we'll send you the papers tomorrow. Like you don't even have yeah. to have a conversation with them right now. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good, if you are in transition or, um, you still have a somewhat viable business um, because you're doing home delivery or direct ship or um, maybe you've always been a takeout restaurant. You know, there's that you can also use this opportunity to advance your financial self-interest by renegotiating with the bank or your landlord or someone like, hey, I'm still making it, but this is scary stuff. You guys mm-hmm. have been keeping me on a short string. Can you give me a longer operating line or a something. So look, be always paying attention to these SBA announcements and the other um, things coming out of government, the stimulus package. I saw one in Wisconsin had a grant program for businesses. There is, a, I mean, there are always crude attempts coming out of government, state, local, federal, but there are attempts, and if you stay sharp, and pay attention, you can hopefully benefit from those. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, and and what I've been, you know, this 13-week rolling cash flow forecast, so let's talk about that because that's really how you figure this out, right? Absolutely. So the, if those who don't know, 13 weeks, that's also a baseline for either receivership or bankruptcy. It's all about cash. So... Yeah, you know, getting to finance, not even 101, finance 99, right? <laughs> so you have your balance sheet that's kind of your assets. And that's, at one level, it's kind of like what you're worth, but that's assuming somebody's actually going to pay the stuff. So if you're a restaurant right now and you show a $400,000 balance sheet because all your amazing tricked-out kitchen, you're not going to get 400000 for it. So... That's always just a funny number that's really in negotiation with the bank on a loan. You have your, you know, profit and loss, which is often accrual. And so you make a bunch of sales, but you may not actually see the money for a while. And meanwhile, you're buying a bunch of stuff. So as my friend always said, expenditures precede uh, income. So you may actually be your bank account may be zero or sub-zero, but it looks like you're making money. Well, that's where cash flow comes in. Cash flow is the literal cash in your hand if you were doing an all-cash business. And that's where the 13-week thing comes in because you know exactly what bills you can pay, when you expect money in, and how to manage that over a period of time. And 13 weeks is a quarter of the year, and it's a really nice kind of metric and keeps you very very disciplined. And if you're feeling any financial stress, it is one of the best tools, home or business, to sit down and figure that out. Take a calendar, take a piece of paper, literally sit there and make yourself go through, where does my money come from? When does it hit my account? When are my bills? How you pay your bills? And make sure it balances up. And if it doesn't, what do you do to circle, to screw it up? That it is a huge, wonderful tool. 
Yeah. So I last week, because of what was going, what's going on, I um, we at FFI we've always had this template for doing a 13-week rolling cash flow forecast, and I I said, you know, people have such a hard time filling one of these out. I'm going to demo filling one out, and we're going to make it. Um, we're going to make it available to people. So we got that up there last week and uh, and we're getting lots of people using it, which is really great because I, I, you know, we I demoed like you roll the whole thing, how you set up, how do you customize a template for you and how you how you populate it. And then you see the negative numbers. And then this is what it looks like if you stop paying your rent or partial rent and this is what happens if you delay payments to your packaging supplier for four weeks or whatever um, and then what it looks like if you bring the debt in so um, so there are tools like that out there and I know that um, kitchen table consultants has one up on their website too a demo of how they they do their um, 13 week rolling cash flow so People should definitely, at this point, you definitely want to get one of those up and running because I don't know how you make good decisions otherwise, you know? Especially when things are tight and squishy. The other, the other iteration of that I've heard, um, when you are reliant on your own effort, customer sales, you know, whether it's farmer's market or you're doing home delivery or Internet sales, I don't care. It's you're relying on a certain number of sales that you are generating or that are coming through your shop. Again, Internet, anything you're doing. You can put that in and you see how much income you need, whether it's by day or by month, and you can break it out. And then you say, okay, what does that actually mean? You divide up, like, my average sale is $35, and I need to make, you know, $3,000 in the week. Gosh, I better find... Boy, my math's going to be tough here. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to need to find 90 customers this week to make that work. And then, how are you going to do that? Right. And it really gets you to focus fast. If you don't have them walk in the door because you're hanging outside a a brew pub, it's like, all right, how am I going to get 90 people to buy that? And it may be you get on the phone and start calling customers who haven't shopped with you for three months. Right. Or maybe you just start doing a friends and family thing. But, I mean, it really drills down to, and this is the benefit of it, you know exactly what steps you personally can take to improve your situation. Right. Right. And it's quantified. And it takes some of the fear out, I think, too, you know, like because there are all these decisions about what am I going to tell my landlord? What am I going to tell my bank? What am I going to tell my employees? Am I going to lay them off? Or, you know, all that stuff. And if you quantify right. it, it helps take some of the emotion out of it, too, I think, for people. And, it, and if you have employees, it, it's the way to get them to buy in. You say, guys, yeah. we need, let's just use that, let's say, let's say it's 90 a day. Not right. I don't care what it is, right? Guys, there are three of us, and we need 90 sales today so each of us go out how are we going to get 30 well, i'll tell you what guys i'll take 40 and you guys take 25 right but how are we going to do that because that's how we keep going and it gets them very aware of what's going on gets them to buy in and then you can brainstorm together and go out and do it so again whether it's phone calls god what else is there now i mean just right Facebook, I mean, post, there's the thing. Instagram, do videos, like just get it, anything you can come up with to get the sales going. 
It gets mm-hmm. the people really tied in, like right. very focused. Right, right. All right. So uh, now let's talk about this situation where you do all of these things and you come to the realization that you, you know, maybe your business was losing money for going into this and you go through this exercise and you realize that you're not going to make it. So what kinds of things bankruptcy conjures up just that word conjures up so much negativity and, you know, scariness, right? So, so what does that all mean? And what is, what do you, what happens? All right. There's a lot to unpack there. So first of all, um, I know a lot of people who are struggle were struggling to make a go of it, but they felt they were so emotionally invested and felt they you know had employees counting on them and they had you know borrowed money from people and they had to keep going even though they were going the wrong way, and it's just getting worse and worse. But they just couldn't let go. I hate to say it, folks, but I'm going to say it. This gives you the excuse to let go. There is an existential threat to your business and to the economy and everything we know as it's going now, and it's completely out of your control. So you have the ability to let go now, and you have no uh, negative emotion around it. It's going to hurt. It always hurts. But you have a really good excuse because this is bigger than you can ever solve on your own. So let's start there. Let go. It's okay. Step two, bankruptcy or receivership or any of those things are just uh, legal tools to try to do an orderly resolution of your business, the wind-up of your business. And it's assuming, as a baseline, that you don't have enough assets to pay for everyone. So if you don't, the scary part is when you own a house or something like that and you put that on the line, but let's, we'll leave that aside. Let's just take a, you're a standard LLC, you've opened up a restaurant, you've got the equipment in the restaurant, you've got an operating line, you promised the bank you'd pay it back, but you're renting. You know, you're renting your home and you've got an old car and all that. You don't really have any assets that can come after. And that's where they'll probably on their own, but through a receivership or bankruptcy, somebody else just takes it under control and you are absolved of any future obligation for it. This is a deliberate process created by the federal government in our laws to let people start over. It is a not a moral failing on your part. It has been uh, trumped up. Ooh, that's a dangerous word to use right now. It has been um, yeah. this, this negativity around bankruptcy largely comes only dealing with consumer debt. Mm-hmm. Most businesses, especially as you get bigger and bigger, will use these tools as a normal standard business practice. Reorganizations, they want to get rid of some leases, they want to get rid of some uh, union contracts. They get rid of those through bankruptcy. So the big companies, they don't care about bankruptcy. They don't care about any stigma. It's only us smaller folks. And in small business, we're kind of stuck between that consumer world and the business world so a lot of that stigma seems to come to us as well right. let it go this is your chance to breathe free you use those 13-week tools to pay your creditors 
in the proper order that they should be paid, which is usually bank first, and not always, um, and it's just an orderly paying off of them so it's fair and it's above board and no one's getting like side deals out there. That's what the process is about. It gets so more complicated. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so the first thing I, I love it um that that you know, we kind of think of this in our heads as an ending thing, but it what what you said about is it's a way to clear the slate and have a new beginning. That is such a uh it's such an interesting way to shift how you think about it, right? Um it's absolutely what it's designed to do. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we don't have debtors' prisons anymore. Right. And if you think of it, folks, I mean, you're the ones, you're entrepreneurs, you're out there trying to run businesses. It's the, you know, the myth of America. It's just, you know, pull ourselves up. This is great. If they, if you have your first bad patch and you don't make it, and then you can never start a business again, that's bad for America. It's bad for the economy. It's bad for everyone. Right. So it is a very strong public policy of the United States that we let people clear their debts in a fair way and dust themselves off and try again. So is this, um, so if I decide, boy, I can't get this thing to work, um, it, there's just no way I'm coming out of this, um, what's the first step toward doing this in an orderly way? Um, you want to... Well, there's the practical and then there's the, the formal answer. The formal answer is you want to contact your, an attorney mm-hmm. who can help advise you. You know, they'll start with a workout and then they'll, you know, just approach the banks and your big, big debtors and say, look, this is going south. What do you want to do? And work it that way. And then if it goes really ugly, they'll, they'll put you into bankruptcy, which is a formal filing of the federal court. The practical answer is when you start thinking it's going south, you start hoarding cash. You push all your suppliers as far out as you can. You hoard that cash. You have certain, you know, you got to pay your taxes. You got to pay your employees. Um, but you hoard that cash and give it to your attorney because your attorney, she's going to need 2000 5000 maybe if you're doing a full reorg, it can, you know, it can go up into the hundreds of thousands, but She's going to need that cash to create the plan, hire the experts. And whether it's $500 for a personal filing or 2000 for a business filing or 5000 if you don't have the money to pay her, now all of a sudden you're putting your hand out to friends and family saying, give me some more money just to pay the attorney so I don't pay other people. It starts getting kind of squirrely that way. So the sooner you make the decision, squirrel that cash away, put it in a retainer with your attorney so your attorney can help you then um, do the orderly uh, liquidation, orderly dissolution of your company. Right. So you you engage an attorney to help you with this. Um, you the attorney and you go through all this. That, so this is why I tell people, you know, you might as well put this thirteen week rolling cash flow thing together because you're going to need it no matter what you're doing. So put this thing together. Um, and then your attorney is going to help you do the negotiations with everybody. Um, and the idea is usually is there's some um, prioritization usually, That's isn't right. there, among your creditors? So, That's right. That's right. So 
just having an attorney changes the game. Um, if it's you and the bank, the bank has been through this dozens, hundreds of times. And so they're not going to always, different world now, but generally they're not going to tell you how far they can go with something or that you have these options. Um, but all of a sudden you show up with an attorney. I've hired, you know, ex-attorney who does workouts and bankruptcy, or I think they, sometimes we call it distressed assets. Um, and they go, oh, okay. And then you have to decide, do you want your attorney to do the work? Or are you going to do the work? But a lot of times it will lead very quickly to quick discussions with the bank. Often there's something called a forbearance agreement, which is they say for the six months, pay us interest only or don't pay us anything while we start a liquidation process. And a lot of times you don't have to file anything. It just goes through um, this workout phase, liquidation or whatnot, because you and the bank are now working together to try to get the most money out of this asset and not pay attorneys and not pay other experts who will chew into that money first. Now, priority, I've said that a couple times, and Tara just alluded to it. If you have a mortgage, you know what priority is. If you don't pay your mortgage, the bank comes and they get your house. If you sell your house, let's say you sell your house for $300,000, you have a $150,000 mortgage. You do not get $300,000 when you sell the house. The bank gets paid first. So they would get their mortgage of $150,000 paid out of that closing, and then you get what's left over. So, you know, if you have a second mortgage for your basement build-out, the first mortgage gets paid first, then the second mortgage, and then you get what's left. And so that's the priority, who's standing first in line. Now, what happens when you have your first mortgage, your second mortgage, and you sell your house for $160,000? First mortgage gets its $150,000. Second mortgage gets ten instead of fifty. So that's the process that's happening in bankruptcy. You don't have enough assets to pay everyone their handout, so the courts and the rules are who's got priority. And that's where you've probably seen, if you have loans out there, they filed UCC statements, Uniform Commercial Code statements. They have liens on your equipment. They have liens on your car. They may even have liens on your bank account. There are lots of nastiness out there they've got their hooks into. So which brings me back to that idea of cash and the retainer. If you keep your money in the same bank where you've got your mortgage or your operating loan, and you go to them and say, gosh, I can't pay all my bills anymore, I'm looking at bankruptcy, they will turn around and say, oh, thank you, well, let's continue this conversation. And meanwhile, they push a button and your all of your accounts will be frozen. So you can't even access the accounts you have right then. So, again... If you hire an attorney, you have the right to put the money into a retainer because you can always get the money back, and it's been there for a proper and appropriate reason. But let the attorney hold your money for a little while while you figure out what's going on with the bank. So that's where holding on to your cash while you're deciding this stuff is really important um, because it does get weird fast. Um, So what happens if if you take money out and you put it in a different bank? Would that 
Would uh, that great. work They'll as well as it. in a it retainer? It does in the short term, but often it depends on your agreement with the banks. Remember, we all sign these agreements, and they'll be 20 pages long. And there'll be five agreements they slap down in front of you to sign. Right. Buried in that, in what they call the boilerplate or the standard language, often is you may not move your deposit accounts to someone else if you're not going to be able to pay us. Mm. So you can get in trouble with that. Usually it's not that big a deal. You know, we're not talking that big of money in our kind of folks, but it can be really nasty if it starts looking like you're being deceptive. So that's the cleanest one I've found is your attorney has the right to hold the money because she doesn't know how much she's going to need by the end of the case, and she needs to get paid and needs to pay experts, and at some point may actually be paying um, certain critical vendors out of that money. So it's often safer to let your attorney bid on as much money as possible, which can then be redistributed out once you understand and have a good agreement with the bank. You know, the difference between going to your bank and saying, gosh, I'm thinking about bankruptcy, I can't pay anyone, but I'm going to use the 15000 in my account to finish paying some vendors, they're going to say, no, 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 that's ours. Or putting that 15000 out to an attorney who says, you better tell your bank, and then go to your bank and say, gosh, I'm not going to have trouble paying you. I've hired an attorney, and they say, oh, and I see you took 15000 out of your account. I said, yeah, I had to pay my attorney. And they say, oh, well, let's do a forbearance agreement, and you have to agree to pay us 1000 a month for the next six months out of that fifteen. you You're like, okay, I can do that. So it just cool. changes the power equation quite a bit. Cool. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to hoard cash. We're going to engage an attorney. We're going to um, put down a retainer. And now the, you and your attorney are going to work through what that order of priority is, right? From lenders that's, to well, it's, landlords it's, yeah, it's, and it's, vendors. Right. And, yeah, that's right. So there's certain special things like farmers almost always get paid first. So if I buy an animal off the farm uh, under the packers and stockyards, those people have to get paid first right away above everybody else. Hmm. If, however... I buy meat from someone who bought the animal. I don't have to pay them. Mm-hmm. They can get paid way down like any other vendor. Now, they're going to owe the farmer right away, but that's not really my problem in, in the you know, legal sense of these things. So that's why there are all these little niceties you have to go through. But if you generally think of it as your mortgages, who has first priority, second priority on your equipment, they're the ones who are driving the boat. And only a few vendors who are, um, uh, are providing you supplies after the fact will get boosted above them. So if you and the bank agree you're going to continue doing home delivery, say, and you need to buy from vendors to make the home delivery to make a little bit extra money, those vendors get paid first before the bank does because it's new money coming in. Uh, it's mm-hmm. starting to sound complicated. It's really not. If I'm stuck and I can't move anywhere and someone holds out their hand and say, I'll, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks a product so you can make 70 bucks, they should get their 50 bucks back first because they're helping you after you've been frozen. Mm-hmm. That's really all it comes down to. Got it. 
So, all right. So, um, so say you go through a bankruptcy on your business. At what point does that become a personal bankruptcy situation as well? Or does it ever? It does. Um, it's usually if you have personal guarantees. So whether you're an LLC or a corporation, you're supposed to be shielded from the business. Your business and your personal are two different things. Banks have gotten around that. And banks aren't bad. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like they're being evil. Um, but they figured out very quickly. You could go borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars to the bank under your LLC, close your LLC, and if you didn't have a personal guarantee, there's nothing they could do. So they make owners and often officers um, sign personal guarantees for the funds, and that's where your house may get on the hook or your car or your personal assets. Most small businesses I know, it's all intertwined anyway, so it's not that big a deal. Um, for those who um, are getting to that mid-size, um, it's, that's where the, it starts to hurt. So you've got two or three restaurants or four restaurants you've built out, and you're paying off, and you're doing okay. You bought the cool house. You're kind of expanding out. and You've got some personal assets building, and then this happens, what just happened. Well, your restaurant assets aren't worth what they were before, and you've got all this debt accruing. And so the bank's looking around going, hey, you promised this stuff would get paid. I'm, I'm coming after you personally. This is where it hurts and personal bankruptcy can come in. Uh, again, there can be a workout. Like, look, what if we pay 50000 towards the debt and you let us go? But that's almost always going to be based on what would happen through bankruptcy anyway. Um, and again, that's just, you got to sit down and go through with your attorney like what the ramifications are. Um, it's just painful. I mean, it's just there's there's no way around it because they they're stripping you down to the core. I mean, you get to keep your house, um, but you may have to pay some equity in. I think you only have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars now of uh, house equity. Uh, if you have a, a spouse, that'd be double. Um, your retirement accounts, those are safe. Um, we've gotten asked, I don't know how many times, Tara. Um, hey, should I liquidate my four hundred one k or borrow against my IRA to? keep the business going, the answer is almost always, 99% always, no, 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 no. Those can't be touched unless there's fraud involved. So don't ever strip those out to pay off a creditor because um, you feel you should or, oh, if I only did this, then I can get one more month and then I can turn the corner. That Once you put it in an IRA, it's gone. Leave it alone. No one can touch it. Keep it safe. Um, outside of that, you know, it's, I'm assuming anybody who's looking at their business bankruptcy, um, you know, their personal bankruptcy, either they have nothing or bankruptcy is not going to hurt them because they have nothing. Right. 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 So in the House under under bankruptcy law, unless you sign something that specifically says they your house is pledged, I think it's protected, isn't it? No, it's a protected. No, if you if you're signing um, a personal guarantee, it's all your assets. But under bankruptcy, you get a homestead protection of a hundred. I, I want to say hundred. It changes all the time, but I think it's one hundred and fifty thousand per person uh, uh, I that see. you get to protect. So That's, if your house is worth five hundred thousand and you get to protect one hundred and fifty. In theory, right. you could have a mortgage. They'd force you to do a 
thousand dollar mortgage, and if you can't actually pay that, then you have to sell the house. Is that how that works? That's right. That's that's exactly right. But you know, if you have a five hundred thousand dollar house, most likely you have a three hundred fifty thousand mortgage on it anyway. Right. Right. In fact, I knew a banker who, even though he had plenty of money in the world, always maintained a mortgage equivalent to full house value minus 150. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So, so, um, so they won't, um, so that you're going through that, they can't force you to um, sell your house if you can afford it. Even if you can't afford right. it, they still can't, right? Um, the only time they could do that is if you had a $500,000 house um, free and clear, um, and you were unwilling to do anything with it, the bankruptcy court would force the sale. The trust, right. There's a trustee who comes in, and they'd say, well, I'm taking those assets from you, and we're going to give you 150000 back from the sale. Right. You do not want to be in that situation, though. You want to control the sale and the auctions and all that. Otherwise, they can do auctions where I mean, you think you hear 10 cents on the dollar, you may be getting 5 cents on the dollar after auction fees and bank fees and lawyers and everybody else. So the more upfront you can be and more in partnership to get stuff moved, um, the better it is really for everyone. And that's where, I mean, banks know that and they want your cooperation. And so one of the only tricks you have with things like SBA or some of these other big guarantees is say, I've got, let's say I've got three restaurants, there's, in theory, $750,000 of equipment there. And then I've got you know, whatever assets on the side. And you're trying to say, I'm responsible because of my personal guarantee. Okay, that's great. Here's what we can do. I will help you sell all this stuff, you know, get things back going, whatever I can. I will fully cooperate getting you the maximum towards that seven fifty we can if you release my personal guarantee. Because if you don't, here are the keys. You deal with it yourself, and you'll be lucky to get 75000 out of it, and then I'm going to go file bankruptcy, and we'll fight over it on that end. So that is your strongest tool. It's like we said earlier with the landlord. They need your cooperation to maximize the value of the assets, and that is really your one main card to play other than there's no blood from a stone. Right, right. Isn't that interesting? All the more reason, I, I, you know, because this is such a stressful time, right? Because all of a sudden you went from gangbuster economy to completely no restaurants or whatever. And to just blindsided mentally to think this through and, and negotiate that way on your own behalf is going to be really hard. Like this is, this is one of those places where an attorney would really earn their keep. Oh, no doubt. And it's, it's the stress. You know, any legal, any legal thing is stressful. Even doing a will is stressful, right? But right. this is one, you are getting hit from all sides. You're emotionally drained. You're psychically drained. You just don't have the energy to get yourself up and go anymore because you've just gotten crushed. And mm -hmm. now you're in this pandemic world. There's not even like a friendly ally to come in and try to be a white knight and buy your restaurant or help your employees out. So, yeah, it's, this is when you need the expert. You need to go find an attorney to help you through this stuff. And 
you know, as Tara and I were talking about early at the show, it's, you know, when you see this all the time, it, you're not emotional about it. And, and don't take that for uncaring. It's just, it, it's a, we're now playing my board game. I know how my board game works. You come to me, you let me play the game for you. That's, that's the process that goes on when you get to this level of attorneys. Right, right. And it's such a relief for the business owner to not have to do this, right? It's just, yeah, and you won't be. The first time around, you're never as good at it. And why would you do that to your own business, you know? Right, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, in some ways, I think um, the fact that some of these businesses had to outright shut down, um, it, it's an interesting thing because it, it, that never happens normally, right? I mean, unless, unless a business fails, in which case it shuts down. But we don't have this cross-the-board shutdown thing like we have right now. And, you know, usually businesses struggle and they lose money and they hang on for a while, right? And in this case, right. we didn't have to go through that, which might actually be a gift in a way. Yeah, for those businesses that weren't going to make it anyway, and no one's going to admit that was them, um, it's a huge gift. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, uh, it's done, and, and you get to move on, and you get to blame the global pandemic, not, you know, whatever it is that was otherwise draining your business. Right. Um, so use it as an opportunity that way to really, you know, like, we're, I mean, everyone's having to anyway. We're all stuck in our homes and staring at the same people or you know, through Zoom or whatever else we're using, we're all having to kind of recalibrate and refocus on what's really important and basic survival and how we're getting through this stuff and how we're living in our own stink. And, you know, it's hardcore. And yeah. use that as an opportunity for your business. So when things clear out, you know exactly where you align personally and business-wise and can come out to re-engage with your community and find your way forward. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's going to be, I read somewhere about like speculation about having a, it's like a COVID-19 bankruptcy law thing. I don't even know what that would be, but what do you think about the possibility of something like that? I'm assuming, I haven't read that. I, I'm assuming what they're just do is kind of an expedited bankruptcy process, um, cut the fees and just have it a much more streamlined process. They've got that already for like small businesses and things. Because um, I'm sure what they're worried about is the courts getting overwhelmed. Completely overwhelmed. Uh, by the number of cases. Right. And if they make them all complicated and people are fighting over every one, um, it's just be a huge drain of resources. Everything's going to get stuck and there's going to be no resolution. So they may just come through and say, here's the, here's the short form. If you, if you meet this, there are no objections. We're moving forward. Go. Um, I could totally see that happening, but I haven't personally read it. It's, right. it's, it's court management. It's like they're doing, like you know, or if they were doing down with the um, immigration problem and people seeking asylum, they just ground the immigration system to a halt because there are too many people. They got overwhelmed. They weren't given the resources, so they just got stuck. It's you know, like any other system. Right. It'll just get overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I do think, you know, the general desire at the moment is to keep things, um, keep as many businesses as possible operating. I mean, that's why the um, SBA loans and everything, you know, they're trying to expedite them. But, yeah, it's hard to get things moving fast enough for a business that suddenly has no sales. 
That's right. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one thing, another thing to remember, we talk about there's a lot of help coming for the banks, a lot of help there with the banks. But mm-hmm. even though many, many, many people really cursed and bemoaned the stress test and the amount of assets banks had to keep on hand, they had a much higher uh, baseline they had to maintain. Um, it's got the banks in a much stronger position now for surviving this. Um, the banks aren't in danger that I've heard at all, and they've got full you know, federal backup to them. So they're in a position to work through this stuff. So, again, don't. And they're trying to figure it out, too. You know, They don't want their entire book of business going bankrupt. Right. So they're going to work with you to try to figure out ways through, and if that means having to go through your landlord to reach their bank, you know, we're coming back right. to where we started the thing. Now is the time to really start, you know, what I'd say, Tara, I'll back you up on this. Start with your 13-week cash flow. Figure out what's viable. Where's the money coming in for where it's going and what could be, what pieces could be moved or shifted to make that work. Talk to your landlord then because you've got data and say, here's what I need if that does, if that solves it. And then with the landlord, go talk to the bank and say, mm-hmm. Here's where we are. Can you help the landlord by adjusting his loan for the next six months while we figure this thing out? Yep. And and if somebody's looking for an attorney, um, are, do bankruptcy attorneys are they special specialized? Is that a specialization, or can I just go that, to my attorney? No, it is a specialization. It's a whole separate. You know, there's the special court, the bankruptcy court, subset of the federal courts. Um, there's special language, special learning. It's, you know, they're kind of quasi-business. At least have been around businesses enough to be able to speak the language that way. So, yeah, you just, all you do is you go to your local bar association, like Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Bar Association. They'll have a lawyer referral. Um, you can ask people about it. Um, anybody around here, they usually call me first, and I send them to the place to go. But, um, you know, just find people you trust and either get the word of mouth thing or go to the, the bar association and just get who's there. I always say interview two or three um, to the extent you can or try to check out two or three before you make your decision. Um, is there going to be, you know, your professional on this case? And, you know, their personality is less important than their basic skills. But, you know, I say it's not rocket science. It's just kind of a specialization you want to have gone through a few times so you understand what you're dealing with. Right, right. Okay. Well, did we miss anything? Just be safe, folks. Um, you know, it's scary times, and, you know, some people are reaching out to the community, and some are buying ammunition and holding up in their basement. Um, right. Just, we're pretty much anyone in the food and ag business is somewhat social. You know, you like people, and you want to feed people, and you want to feed them good food. There are actually opportunities out there uh, for those who can pivot and reach, you know, the home delivery, the curbside pickup kind of stuff. I've seen restaurants making giant pots of soup and um, selling it as uh, pay what you can. Um, The biggest thing I'm telling people is to directly reach out to anyone you can find who is a customer. Um, Now's the time to really show you're not just a business trying to take their money, but you really and truly care about them. So do what you can to make that connection. Um, whether, whether you're going to survive in business or otherwise, it's just 
you know, you're in business for a reason. And assuming it's not just you think it's a cool way to make money, um, own what you're about and share that with the world and do what you can to help people. Yeah. So you're um, you, one of the few um, folks I know who is a practicing attorney who also owns and was the entrepreneur on a, on a business yourself in um, Conscious Carnivore. So uh, uh, just what's up with Conscious Carnivore right now? Well, we, we had to pivot. Um, we are doing curbside only because just we're right by the hospitals and the safety concern was getting overwhelming, both for customers and our staff. So we've gone really old school. People call us on the phone and uh, Dave, our master butcher, uh, does a video every morning giving a tour of the shop and talking about what he's just cut fresh and people are, have responded very positively. And so we're, we're doing fine. Um, wow. so what we're trying to do is share our customers with more of the artists and producers, farmers and processors that we know that we carry and expand it out a little bit so that people, you know, they know they are reaching not just us, but the people who are supporting us. Right. Um, so we've got videos of our farmers going up now and our other artisans because we're one of the few uh, local businesses, local food businesses standing. You know, so many of the local food focused things were restaurants and they're. Right, and they're you know, gone. Yeah. They're gone or they're doing just a skeleton crew thing. Mm-hmm. So we're doing everything we can to open our doors to more uh, throughput of these kinds of products. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's tough. That's fantastic. But in, but, yeah, but it's, you know, it's, but it's stressful on our, our guys. I mean, we're, we're a walk in the door, chat with the folks, you know, right. what's going on, what's cooking and all that. And now you have to do it by phone, and then the phone's ringing for the next one, and then somebody's calling, I'm here to pick up. And then, meanwhile, you're bleaching every hour. And I mean, it's, it's right. tough being in business when you have any interaction with the customers. So that's what I mean is we are doing everything we can to reach out to our customers and connect them with the community because mm-hmm. it's um, scary times. Yeah, yeah. Well, kudos. So I was, so the state, I, I didn't understand why if you go into a grocery store, you can't have fresh cut meat in a meat case. The, the, I only saw that at one place and it's wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, the, 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 the rule is if you're selling bulk food, you can actually allow, I mean, I read the rule again when I saw a local grocer shut down their bulk and shut down their meat case. You just, you, at the worst, to dispense it, but the way I read it, even the bulk food, you could actually maintain those as long as you kept it in a sanitary, sanitary condition. So some people overreacted on that. Um, oh, sure okay. Well, that's good to know. So, yeah, we still yeah. We cut every morning. We still have the animals coming in. You know, ag is exempted as, right. uh, you know, obviously it's a necessity in the world. And, you know, it. what we're, the other thing I've seen, and you hear it in the news all the time, is I've been preaching for, yeah, what, 10, 12 years. No one knows how to cook anymore, and it's driving me right. crazy. So I've been cooking classes and trying to get people up, trying to, you know, the, the, for me, the joy of the CSA was that people would start cooking with it, but, you know, CSAs are declining because people didn't like cooking. Well, right. you know, now that the restaurants are closed, people are freaking out and trying to cook. cook. And so, you know, bread. it's hard to get bread flour. It's hard to get butter. It's hard to get eggs. It's hard to get pasta because, you know, these Certain things, people, that's all they know how to cook, eggs and pasta. 
and certain things are trying to like, oh, I'm going to start making bread or I'm going to start, you know, cooking these other things. And that's great. So hopefully we see a resurgence of people cooking at home and enjoying it and enjoying better quality ingredients. And then the restaurants come back and be what I think they should be, which is the gathering place and the community space and cooking things you can't cook at home. But right. if, we, if this causes a resurgence in the home cook, I think that, that will be a bright spot coming out of it. You know, the other thing, I saw some data from Intel that said that at, in China with COVID, um, they saw two, that it, it's still a culture where people shop, go to markets every day to buy fresh food, right? Um, uh-huh. oh, sure. By necessity, they had to become people who went once a week to buy food, right? For them, mm-hmm. that's a difference. The other thing that they saw was people buying more from farmers directly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the farmer people that I work with have, who are direct marketing already, have seen big jumps in their sales. So that might also be another really good thing that comes out of this is that people establish these connections with farmers and kind of like conscious carnivore where your farmers are Mm -hmm. the owners of the store, right? Like that incredible direct connection, you know, hopefully that won't go away. That could be one of the silver linings of this. Well, that's the, you know, one of the things you talk about, that's the blessing of being in the Midwest and our area in particular. We do have the food around us, the processors around us. Um, I, I have friends in Boston, and they have the empty shelves, but they don't have the farmer to turn to. Right. That's a little scarier than where we are. Right. Um, but then, yeah, I completely agree. With what, in fact, we changed our, uh, our, our temporary logo at the Conscious Carnivore. It used to be love your farm, or know your farmer, love your butcher. Mm-hmm. And we changed it uh, on the sign when we started curbside, which was we are small, clean, local and friendly uh-huh. because we had people coming in who had not shopped with us before saying i'm coming here because fewer people have touched the product yeah isn't that interesting that that's really exactly interesting. yeah that's exactly what's driving this wanting to go right to the farmer uh-huh. yeah you know and who knows that i, I mean we're uh, the supply chain could could you know is stress let's put it that way all of the you know the connections along the way so i think you know people are as you said your friends in in boston don't have the option of going direct and people want it yeah crazy times yeah so our folks out there um you know it's a trend that's been happening anyway but the Walmarts and the Costcos are going to be fine. They have their own distribution center. They've got tons of money behind them. People are flocking to those stores because they can be resupplied faster, um, where the folks in the middle who go through a distributor have more trouble with supply chain. Right. So we're going to see an acceleration of that hollowing out of the middle. So figure out where you are, which for you know most of our people, it's like that direct, I call it own the customer, like build those customer relations, whatever that customer means, what customer means to you. You've got to be part of their family. You've got to offer something they can't get from Costco because, oh, you know, that's Billie Jean down the road. It's like, oh, she works with these farmers. That's fantastic. And she always puts a smiley face on the egg for me or what, you know, whatever. Just that's the level you need to reach now in these times. Um, because coming out of it, it's going to be big, 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 and hyper local. 
Yeah. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, could very well be. Well, Bartlett, it's awesome to have you as always. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and you be well, your family be well. Indeed. It's always good talking to you, Tara. And uh, everybody stay safe, wash your hands and uh, learn to make bread. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.